Hey, good morning, everyone. I think this may be the most people we've ever had in this room. We have every chair in the building in this room. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Bob's excited, everyone. Uh, yeah, you're all his guests. Um, it's wonderful to be together. Uh, if you, we, have a, we have a seat here. There's one right here. There is one right there. Um, you can sit on the piano bench. Um, there's, there's places. So find a place to sit if you want to sit on the floor. Um, sorry we're out of chairs, but what a wonderful um, problem to have. It's so good to be with you today. My name is Matthew. I'm the pastor here. And if you're visiting, welcome uh, to church. Really glad to have you join us today. It's a special Sunday for us because at the end of the service, after the sermon, we're going to baptize some babies into our church, which is a really big deal, um, something we're very excited about. One of the things that we're doing, actually really the thing we're doing in the month of January at Trinity is we're thinking deeply together about community and how we live into that community more specifically. How are we going to do it in what we're calling neighborhood groups in 2020? What is it going to mean or what's the invitation or the call on you and me to, to enter into these communities? And so this morning we're going to read a passage from the Gospel of Matthew uh, and, and then we're going to pray and then we're going to see how that story about Jesus actually speaks directly to our need for community and, and what God wants to do in us through it. So why don't we, um, first of all, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 3. If you have a Bible, feel free to turn there. If not, just follow along on the screen. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Lord, we uh, thank you for this day that you gathered us together into this place to be fed by you, to hear you, to celebrate new life in our community, to worship your Son. Lord, we pray that you would be doing a deep and invisible and utterly mysterious work under the surface today. You would be opening our hearts wider to hear you and receive you. You would be calling us, Lord, into the way of Jesus and giving us next practical steps. You would use this time to help remind us and reorient us to what our life is really all about as followers of Jesus. Oh God, we ask that you would give us the grace to hear you today. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So we are talking about community, and um, the lectionary is doing us a huge favor today because this passage is... Um, it's a snapshot or a picture into the holy community that is at the center of all things, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about community, like this is the model. This is what heaven sounds like. This is the veil being torn. And uh, suddenly we can hear and see what has been going on forever. We have this icon. We, we use it almost every week. It's by a famous Russian painter, um, Rublev. And it is a picture of, uh, of what ultimate reality is. The Bible tells us that God is actually three 
distinct persons who are one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and who have for always and ever lived in perpetual love and glory, uh, submitting to one another, celebrating one another, enjoying and favoring one another, and that what it means to therefore be a human being is to be a person made in that image, made for that kind of community, that has that sort of written in the DNA of our souls, and that that what it means to be a Christian is to be a person who is fighting to recreate that on this earth so that we can, as Jesus says, have on earth what it is in heaven. This uh, community of love, a place of healing and of wholeness. And that's what we're trying to do here and be more serious about at Trinity, especially this year, as far as a goal that we've set for ourselves. Um, but first we need to look at what's happening in the story. So Jesus goes to his cousin John the Baptist to be baptized, which is very strange. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense why he would do that. Baptism, especially in this sort of baptism, was always about uh, the cleansing away of sins. And the church just has always believed that Jesus was sinless. So he's going for more symbolic reasons, in some way to identify with our story, to go fully into the story of Israel and the story of people, to, uh, to be a person who in every way stands uh, in our place for us. He goes, and John finally consents, he baptizes him, and then he comes out of the water, and he hears the voice that he has always heard, and he feels the touch and the presence of the Spirit whom he has always known. And that must have been quite a moment for Jesus, I would imagine, because before Jesus came on the earth at Christmas, which is what we just celebrated, he had never not known that voice. He had never been lonely. He had never experienced what you and I experience regularly of feeling like we're on the outside of something looking in on it. He had never known that. And yet when Jesus became a man, he began to experience in his humanity the things that you and I experience. Loneliness and fatigue and weariness and anxiety and the stuff that's just sort of like run-of-the-mill like emotions that you and I feel that end up uh, making us feel hollow. Jesus began to feel those things because it says in the Bible that he actually went through everything that we go through. He, he, felt, he felt the way you feel. That's why you need to just get in your imagination. Jesus was not someone who sort of floated above the surface of the earth that was impenetrable, where nothing would affect him. But he was a person who felt deeply, who hurt, who longed, who was discouraged at times. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like. And so it must have felt really good, I would think, to come up out of the water and to hear the voice again and to feel the spirit again. The scholars have noted for a long time, this is, of course, like a a significant, a very significant moment in Jesus' life, mostly because this is the voice of validation that will end up carrying Jesus into his ministry. And he's going to have a really, really hard mission. It's ultimately going to cost him his life, of course. And this is the word spoken over him before he spends 40 days in the wilderness being tempted, before he goes into uh, three years of persecution, of being chased out of towns, of... Uh, being threatened, and ultimately being killed, this is the voice that's going to hold him over. It's going to carry him through because this is the voice that actually um, spoke the most, spoke the truth over him, reminded him of what was most true, no matter what anyone else would say. That before Jesus had preached a sermon, before he had performed a miracle, before he had done anything that would be exemplary, he was fully loved and pleasing to his father. His father enjoyed him immensely, and he wanted him to know that. Not because of the things you do, but because of who you are. I adore you. I love you. Now, scholars have noted this is a big moment in Jesus' life, but they also simultaneously have understood that with that, it's a big moment for Christians. And the reason is, is because to be a Christian, according to the New Testament, is to be a person who, the way that Paul says it, is a person who is in Christ. 
So it's like there's Jesus Christ, and what it is to be a Christian is to be a person who finds themselves, placing themselves, their identity in him, so that the things that come to Jesus from the Father come to us. Another way that Paul says it, he says, we have been found in the beloved. So what it means to be a person who's following Jesus is not simply a person who's practicing the way of Jesus, although certainly that's the pragmatic, practical outworking of what it means to be a Christian. It's a disciple. But what it means to be in our substance and in our identity is a person who has chosen and chooses again and again to believe deeply that what Jesus has done for us is he has invited us into that circle. He's brought us into the place that you were made for, that you were, you were wired for. And so we find ourselves invited into that community of love. In other words, what Jesus does for us is he, he comes to heal the relational wounding in us, and to bring us into a holy community. That's what he comes to do. Jesus hears the voice of his father speaking, I am pleased with you, my beloved son. And I would just say, I believe with my whole heart that you and I were made for that voice as well. That you were made to hear words like that spoken over you, words that have power and life to heal and to bind up and to strengthen and to give courage to. You were made for that voice. Most of us, though, have a very hard time hearing that voice, and that's because most of us, if not all of us, in one way or another, to varying degrees, heard other voices from very early times in our life. All of us in here, if I were to sit down with you for long enough, all of us in here, the thing that is common in this room, no matter what your background is, no matter what your race is, no matter how poor or rich your parents were, one or two parents, adopted, fostered, the thing that is true about everyone in here is that we carry around us a reservoir of relational pain. Uh, bullying uh, from the school that we grew up in or distant grown-ups who, or, or who weren't not distant but actually abusive grown-ups, disinterested parents, romantic love relationships that shattered our heart and, and our trust, the suicide of a loved one, the unfaithfulness of a spouse. The thing that is true in this room is that all of us have experienced at the hands of people deep pain and wounding. And it's the truest thing for many of us about how we understand love, how we understand ourselves. I've had a lot of really crazy things happen to me in my life. I've been very sick at times. I spent a week in the hospital with malaria. Like I've had my life threatened at times. The things that still shake me are the betrayals that I've experienced at the hands of trusted people. It's not those things. Physical pain is actually a very small part of my story, but relational pain that is the thing that continues to, make me, to cause me to pull away. It's what feeds my FOMO, which is so stupid, but it feeds my FOMO. It sometimes even leads to despair, a sense of loneliness and hollowness internally. It all comes from this place of wounding and pain, and all of us have experienced trauma like that in our life. Some of us have experienced very severe and intense gut-wrenching trauma, and some of us have experienced milder forms. But the reason it's traumatic is because if you think about a baby, like the little babies that are going to be up here today, a baby comes into the world in a womb that is completely safe. They have a tube that's feeding them magically and perfectly. They have everything they need immediately. They have no cares in the world. And what it means to be born into this world is to begin to realize very quickly that the thing that you thought was true is not and that it's not as safe as you thought it was going to be, and that the people aren't going to take care of you as instantaneously and as perfectly as the world that you just came from, the very safe little womb that you were in. It's traumatic to go through that. It's traumatic to be born into a family with parents who do not do what they're supposed to do. It's traumatic. 
It cuts at us. And, it, it, and what we do, most of us, almost all of us, is we find ways to survive in it. We respond by creating armors around ourselves. We respond by learning to protect ourselves because we don't trust people. Or we become desperate and we overreach. We have various ways of, of surviving the world. But all of them come from this, this same basic place. Of like, the world isn't safe. i got to take care of myself. And yet you and I were made to be people who live in that circle, who have a voice of validation and love spoken over you, not because of the things you've done, not because of how good you were this week and what a good boy you are, but simply because you are God's child and he loves you and Jesus is bringing you into that fellowship. So how do we hear the voice? How do we, how do we move out of relational brokenness and wounding to become people who increasingly hear that voice and begin to experience the healing, the relational healing that you and I were made for. You, if you go to the very beginning of your Bible, you will see that the, it's, it's like the writers of Scripture want you to know like the arc of this story is going to be relational because the first thing that happens in the Bible is relational isolation. Adam and Eve turn on one another. They hide from God. They experience distance from each other, from all of creation, and from God. And you could say that the rest of the Bible is literally about how does a people find the restoration back into the wholeness that they were made for? How does that come about? And it comes through Jesus. It comes through the gospel. It comes through God coming for us directly and him bringing us in. But that's what your Bible is about, the relational isolation that you and I feel from the earliest ages. And how does God, what does God do about it? What is he here to do about it? Community is the place where you and I, I believe, are meant to experience some of that healing. Community is the place where you and I, I believe, are meant to hear that voice, that voice of love, that voice of validation. We're also meant to hear it directly from God, just to be clear. Uh, and, and we've talked about this quite a bit. This is why silence and solitude are so important in our lives. This is why there's no substitute for becoming deep people who are able to be alone and, and to be present with the Lord. There's just no substitute for it. You were made for that voice. And, and some of you know it and have heard it, and, and many of you probably haven't. And we have to be willing to labor and to strain to hear that voice directly from the source. But God had this really great idea with the church. He said, I'm going to bring people together like a body, and this body is going to take care of itself the way a body takes care of itself. It's going to be an extension of me. It's going to be what Paul called the body of Christ. It's going to be the presence of God on the earth. In fact, there's a letter that uh, Paul was writing to a church in, in Ephesus where he describes what this is like. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. We have it on the screen. He says, We speak the truth in love, and we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knitted together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up <clears throat> in love. In other words, we just keep that up there for a second. In other words, what, what the New Testament wants you and me to have an imagination for is that you are a part of an active mechanism through which God is providing healing and he's making us whole so that we can become healers or as Henry Nouwen called us, wounded healers. People who have been wounded but haven't experienced the wholeness that comes to us through love from God, through people, and now we have something to offer those around us. Now we don't approach people with a, a sense of neediness or coercion or a need to manipulate or to somehow control the narrative, but to actually be ourselves in community and offer love to one another. And that's what you and I are called to, to do. That's what we're called to be. And when we are that, when we do that for one another, you and I are like echoes. We're like reverberations of that voice from heaven spoken over you. And that's a really cool and high calling for your life and for me.
That's what we get to do. The body takes care of itself, grows itself up in love. As uh, John Mark Comer, pastor out of Portland, uh, says, he says, community is Jesus' school of love. It is the place in which you and I learn what it is to be a disciple of Jesus because to be a disciple of Jesus, as we saw last week, is first and foremost to be a person of love. By this, they will know you're my disciples, by how you love one another. It's the most foundational and important thing that you do as a disciple. And community is the place where we figure that out. And do you know why community is the school of love? It is because in community, how bad I am at loving gets exposed. How selfish I am. How, how, how untrusting I am. How manipulative I can be. These things all come out in community. How thick the defenses around me that keep you out. Are, these all get exposed in community. The community, nonetheless, is meant to be the place where you and I increasingly begin to hear that voice, and it begins to speak to the, to the wounding. It begins to heal us. It begins to make us into wounded healers who can then go and, and do a thing, do the thing we want to do, be the sort of people for this world that God calls us to be. There's some things that get in the way, though. There are some uh, difficulties in us stepping into that. And I understand this because we've been talking about neighborhood groups, and we're saying, like, be in a neighborhood group. Give it a shot. Try it. 2020. Go for it. And with that, there's like this tremendous thing that happens. It happens in the church. It happens everywhere where there's like a consumerism thing where I'm saying like, do this thing. It's going to work. The thing is, is like, I can't say that. And I know that we're all consumerists and we're all looking for quick fix solutions. We're all hoping that the next thing, the next pill, the next book, the next retreat, the next sermon, the next whatever is going to somehow meet the need and check the box and satisfy and scratch the itch. And I'm just going to tell you, there is nothing about community that is quick or overnight that's going to feel like you've got it the first time. The first thing that is required to begin to, be, to experience the love that we're looking for in community is vulnerability. Vulnerability is a really hard thing. And the reason why vulnerability is utterly essential is because if I'm not vulnerable, I'm not going to believe your love. You know what I mean? Like if I experience your love towards um, the projection of myself that I put out there, if I experience that, then I, I will always know that, or I'll always be able to deconstruct it. I'll always be able to do that thing. It's like, well, you just love the thing that I'm doing because I think that that's what you need me or want me to be. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? So as long as like my primary presence in community or in friendships and relationships is a projection, it's a false self, as David Benner would call it, as Brennan Manning would call it, it's an imposter. As long as my, your experience of me is primarily of my imposter self, um, I'm not going to be able to receive your love. Now, I just want to say really quick, like that projection thing that you and I do is not something to be ashamed of. In fact, Brendan Manning writes in Abba's Child, we need to become willing to embrace our imposter because that, that little girl, that little guy imposter is what helped you survive. It, it, comes, it came for a reason. It was formed for a purpose, to survive a harsh and scary world. But increasingly, the call of Jesus is to move away from a projected version of ourselves, away from a curated version of ourselves, and become instead people who are willing to be seen as we really are. And when I let you see me as I really am in vulnerability, and then you move towards me in love, that has the power to heal. That has the power to touch the deep question in you. And nothing less. It requires vulnerability to become part of a transformational community. And yet, I'll just also say, vulnerability takes a really long time. It doesn't happen overnight. It shouldn't happen overnight. It's not meant to. 
it, it, it is likely that you could enter a neighborhood group in, in February and spend the entire calendar year getting to know people. And at the end, like, not feel like, all of my deep secrets were exposed. And no, it's probably not going to happen. It probably shouldn't happen, to be honest. Some of us in here, we're just extroverts, and we overshare because we don't know what else to do. And we make everyone else feel uncomfortable when we do it. And honestly, it's usually not coming from a good place in us. It's usually coming from a place of brokenness in us. It's usually coming from a, a thing that's trying to control a situation or manipulate someone. We wouldn't think of it that way. Again, that was a skill learned in danger as well. We can be kind to ourselves. But it takes a long time to grow a vulnerable space, a healing space. And so when we talk about neighborhood groups and we say, hey, we need to do this together, I just want to be very realistic and say what I'm asking you to do is to grow something slowly with me and to be a part of making something over the course of years turn into the sort of place that would begin to heal the reservoir of relational wounding that we carry around with us, to be echoes of God's voice. And that's what we're going to do beginning in February. And I need you to consider uh, something as we get closer to that. We need leaders. We need hosts. We need people who are going to open their home and be hospitable. We do not need people who are Bible teachers. We do not need theologians. We do not need people who are going to answer every tricky question. We don't need hospice care people. We need people who are just going to open the door, create space for people, be predictable in that, and are going to be willing to be supported by us and let us come alongside you and help you do this in a way that's going to be, um, well, hopefully really great. We're looking for people who are willing to do this together, co-host, co-lead, multiple families, multiple singles, whatever, however it works out, coming together and, and leading these communities. And we need leaders before we have groups because right now we have a bunch of people that are in on the group thing and we don't have anywhere to send them except for like two places. And that's going to be really bad. So we need you if you're interested, if you feel any sort of, any sort of invitation or, or burden on your heart. Uh, to pray with the people you need to pray with, to look at your calendar, to consider what does it mean for you as a person to step into. I want to be a part of this this year. And then you just reach out to, to Ginny uh, at atltrinity.org. You put on a white card and drop it in one of these baskets, and you let us know, hey, I'd like to be along for this as well. And then as we get closer to the end of January, we'll just say, hey, these are our groups, and find a place to go. I want to answer a couple of really practical questions because we get asked this a lot. Um, people are saying, like, are you saying, like, I have to go to, with people that I'm close to? Like, am I not allowed to drive to go and be with my friends? And I would just say, like, I'm not telling you what you are allowed to do. That's not my job. Like, uh, we're not going to police this. We are ultimately trying to create communities that are really diverse and that are centered around geography, that are going to have singles and married and kids and no kids and, you know, educated, uneducated, all coming together in a place who then happen to run into each other throughout the week at the local, uh, whatever, Dollar Tree, the local Dollar Tree. <laughs> but that's going to be the thing that, that holds us all together. Um, which means that my invitation to you is not to walk away from your fully functioning, healthy friend groups, but to consider how this might also exist alongside and become a place of people that you um, begin to receive life from. In other words, what I'm saying is that it's likely that some of the most important relationships in your world may be with strangers sitting in this room right now that you live a couple blocks from and that you can help to form some community 
uh, with. But we don't like check IDs at the door. You don't have to tell me your zip code to get into certain places. We're not going to police this. It's really just we're asking you to consider uh, trying to find some people who are close to you. We're also, uh, people are asking, well, what if I'm in a group with people who go to the west side and go to the north side? Is that okay? And I'll just say, like, that's okay. It's not ideal because groups increasingly are going to talk about and focus on the themes of that specific parish. And so it's going to be harder and harder. I also think it's really good to worship alongside people that you're then living in spiritual community with and eating food with every week and praying with. I just think it's really good. It's, it's the ideal. It's the way it's engineered to work. But again, Find the place that you need to go and, 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 go, and go there. I want to just really quickly say this is how it's going to work. We have a four-week cycle that we're going to do this in. And, um, yeah, let's do the next slide. Here's the four-week cycle. Every single month is going to look like this. The first week is going to be a social gathering for everyone. That includes kids. That includes everyone. It's a, it's a, it's a hangout. It's barbecue. It's block party, cornhole, whatever it is, you know. Um, order pizza, hang out, invite neighbors. That's the first week. And then there's going to be a week for just women, a week for just the adults, and a week for just men. The reason we designed it this way is simple. The greatest preventer of people being in community prior has been the cost of babysitting. We have, if you have kids, like, you're like, it's $120 a month to be in community group. And like, that would prevent me as well. So we are, we're trying to actually design them in such a way where there's only one Sunday a month I know this doesn't apply to everyone. I know it doesn't. I know it misses single parents in here. I, I know that. I know that. Um, and honestly, if you need help, if, if there's any way, if, if don't let money prevent you from being in community. If you need help even on one week a month with babysitting, come and talk to us because this matters so much to us. And I know that there are people in here who would actually love to share that burden even because we, we can be a body, like we can be a family in this. But we wanted to design in such a way where there was, it was going to be easier for people who do require babysitting to be in community. Now, with that, there are some people that feel missed as well, and understandably so, who, who say, like, well, I'm not a person in that stage of life. I don't have kids. I'm not married, or I am married, but I don't have kids. Um, and what I'm, it doesn't sound like there's like, that this is designed for me. This is designed in a way where all of us are giving a little and sacrificing for the, for the, for the good of another. That's what this is. We're all, we're all sort of bearing a cost in this. We're all going to do this together. And I would just, again, say what I said last week, I, I, at the 11 at least, which is that if, if you are in a different stage of life than me, if you are coming from a different place and a different set of experiences, if I need your voice in my life. Uh, and I, I, I believe that that's true universally for us. We actually need to be people who increasingly sit down with people who, are, who we can learn from. We can learn what your life is, what God is like. We can, we can grow together. We can... Um, it's, it's, it's utterly necessary. So we're going to be starting this in February. And again, I just would ask you as, as your friend, I would just ask you to be asking yourself, looking at your calendar, what do I need to change? How do I make this happen? How do I pull this off? What is this going to look like? What cost is this going to have? You know, like, and we're all asking practical questions. My kids, and then there's track on Wednesdays. And how am I going to, I, we're all asking really practical nitty gritty questions. Just don't price yourself out. But just imagine that God is actually inviting you into something, that he has a voice of love he wants to speak over you. And, and a bunch of us are just trying to do this solo. We're just living siloed Christianity. We don't have anyone speaking into our life. We feel alone. Or we have a number of friends, but we don't know how to have deep or meaningful conversations with them. And we feel ultimately unknown. I know, I know for a matter of fact, because I've met with scores of you, that there are many, many who walk in the room of this building every week and leave feeling unknown unloved. And we have to do something about that. 
God wants to do something about that. He wants to speak to those places of hurt. He wants to answer those questions that we're asking. He wants to set us free to run so that we can become the sort of people that he's made us to be for the world. Why don't we pray together? Thank you so much for listening to today's sermon. I'm Matthew Brown, the parish pastor here at Trinity in Decatur. At Trinity, our mission is to be a people who are growing into Christ-likeness. And you can learn more about Trinity and get plugged into the life of the church by visiting our website, atltrinity.org. Thank you so much, and God bless you. Have a great week.